1 Peter 5.8, please. 1 Peter 5.8. Again, I always enjoy hearing from the uh, teens, the responses that they have after coming back from camp. It's always encouraging to me. I just like that they uh, have a greater appreciation for authority, that they see the need to uh, submit to the Lord and to allow Him to be prevalent and and, and preeminent in their life. I like that. 
First Peter chapter five and verse eight. Um, just a simple verse, and then we're going to just share. I just want to share a simple thought with you today. In First Peter five eight, the Bible says, "Be sober, be vigilant, <clears throat> because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour." <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. When I went into the military, I spent three years active, obviously. Uh, I've told you this before, but I've spent three years active in the Army. I spent six years in the National Guard. And so I had a total of nine years. And through the course of those nine years, a number of times through those years, I was, uh, they would take time to train us on specific areas and try to prepare us for our mission, if you will, our purpose for existing. And that was to defend our country. That was to ultimately defend our nation and to... Uh, even if so, fight the enemy, uh, literally, physically, face-to-face if necessary. And so they trained us how to do a number of things. And one of the things that the military wanted us to understand is our enemy a little bit. They tried to get us to be able to spot enemy equipment, to know what an enemy plane looked like, what the enemy's uh, ships looked like, what you know, different uh, strategies that the enemy might have, attack patterns that they might use, and... So there was a number of things that were going on here. And in this case, in many cases, they would take these silhouettes and they wouldn't have any markings on them, just a silhouette. And they'd say, is that a friendly or is that a foe, you know? And is that the enemy? Is that a friendly? And you'd say enemy and then you'd identify what it was. You'd say what it was. And uh, so they're trying to prepare us. They're trying to ready us for battle. They want, and, and in order to be a good soldier, you need to know who your enemy is. You need to be able to, to identify who you know, who you're going to be fighting and know something about them so that you can defend them as well as attack them adequately and successfully. <clears throat> in sports, it's the same thing. It, 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 you, uh, in sports, you get what's called a scouting report. And in a scouting report, of course, you, you have someone that has gone and observed the other team play and they've tried to identify their system, you know, what strengths they have, what weaknesses they have, maybe top players or different uh, uh, Fellows or ladies on the team that are uh, maybe a little bit better than others that make a difference on that team so that you can identify them and ultimately, you know, uh, negate their, their abilities you know, and then somehow combat that in a way to where you can be victorious. So you try to get to know your opponent. You try to know who they are. And, and you know, <clears throat> the truth is the Bible tells us that the devil's our adversary. And as a result of that, it, it just makes perfect sense and it is quite, you know, um, understandable that we should get to know a little bit about him. We need to understand where he's coming from. We need to kind of have an idea how he attacks and what he does to try to, you know, throw us off course or to trip us up along the way. And if we ever hope to get the victory in the Christian life, we're going to need to know what he's throwing at us. We have to know that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Man, he's casting some darts at us. He's casting fiery darts at us. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The truth is, is that Satan is a marvelous imitator and he's also one that is always playing tricks trying to 
trick us into doing the wrong thing, trying to uh, cause us to take the wrong kind of steps. Um, he's going to throw some fiery darts at you. And he's going to place some wiles before you, try to deceive you and sidetrack you. The battle which he wages is a spiritual battle. And it's a, a, a battle for the souls of mankind. We cannot forget that. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. A spiritual battle. It manifests itself physically, yes, but it is a spiritual battle. And um, I appreciated a few of the testimonies that alluded to the fact that possibly they were holding on to past bitterness or possibly allowing their, uh, the misunderstandings of the past to affect their present-day focus and keeping them from appreciating what and who they, uh, what they are and, and maybe you know, uh, their authorities and those before them even. And, and it, it, it has tainted, it marred their view of those that were in leadership even. I, I like that because what happens is, is that they're starting to see through the facade that this isn't what it's all about. This, this right here and, and this right here. It's a spiritual warfare. And, and Satan uses the physical to upset our spirit. I know exactly. I, I understand that. I, I find myself warring with that constantly. And then I have to backtrack and say, Lord, forgive me for allowing my present circumstance and situation to affect my spirit. To keep me from having the, the, the love of Christ and for, for not having the, the, the attitude I ought to have toward others. And I find myself getting in the flesh and being angry with people even. And I realize I can't do that. It only affects me and it affects my ability to serve the Lord and to please Christ. And I tell you what, I war with that. I war with that. But you know what? The devil, he... He's sly. He's our enemy. He's our adversary. And he wants us to get an attitude. And I, I appreciate these teenagers. Man, I'll tell you what. There was a lot of preaching on this element of making sure your relationships with your family's right. Make sure your relationship with your parents right. Make sure your relationship with your youth director and with authorities is right. And let me tell you something. As adults, we need to heed that too. If there's one thing that's going to affect our ability to ultimately function as a believer and to fulfill the calling of Christ in our life, it's our willingness to submit ourselves and die to self and put our pride aside. Satan is going to throw some pitches at us. He's going to try to get us to swing on some things. He's, he's an adversary and he's a worthy one. And today, I just want to share four pitches that Satan's going to share, send our way. Four pitches. I played baseball growing up as a kid. I didn't play any in high school, and I quit playing probably around the age of 12 because at that point I could no longer hit a baseball. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Man, it started getting to the point where they started throwing all that stuff. It was one thing when it was a straight ball, fastball, and even then I struck out plenty. I just couldn't see the ball well. But there came a point in my baseball career... <laughs> I could feel the ball, I could catch a ball, but I couldn't hit a ball. They'd get in there and they'd throw curves and they'd throw sliders and they'd throw... I couldn't hit that stuff. I was lucky to hit a fastball. Let me tell you something. Satan's not going to just throw a lobber over the plate every time. 
He doesn't want you to hit any home runs for Jesus. He doesn't want you to get on base for the Lord. He doesn't want you to score a run on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want that for any of us. He wants us to go down swinging. He wants us to feel defeated. And so he's going to throw some pitches at us. So tonight I want to share three pitches that he uses. Again, I think knowing our enemy a little bit from the Word of God, I think these pitches will be something you can identify with. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Help us in these next few minutes to identify a few of the pitches that Satan's going to throw our way. Dear God of heaven, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of the family of God. And Lord, the truth is we're a very diverse group. We don't have to be exactly like. Lord, sometimes uh, it's hard to remember that. As we look over the crowd, Father, there's just so many different types of people. Lord, in the end, we have something in common. We have you in common. Help us, Lord, to remember what we have in common. We are all on the same team. We're all going to try to hit a homer for you, get on base for you, and score for you. Help us, Lord, to all be prepared for Satan and his attack. As he throws us these pitches, help us, Lord, to recognize them and be able to deal with them. Lord, we need you, Lord. We love you. We ask for your leadership today. If there be any that are without Christ, that do not know heaven's their home, have not settled their walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, that they do that before they leave today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, the fastball. When you play baseball, of course, you know, a pitcher will try to throw a fastball. And then, you know, years ago, uh, we, we know of a, a, a relief pitcher by the name of Jose Mesa. Brings back bad memories, doesn't it? In that World Series, in the, it was in the ninth inning, and we just had to hold out till the end of the game. We'd have won the World Series as the Cleveland Indians and put in Jose Mesa. Do you know Jose Mesa could throw a fastball over 100 miles an hour at one point? He could throw almost a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. That's a fast, that's a fastball. And you know, a lot of times, he, he would strike people out. Now, he's one of the most effective relief pitchers in the league that year. He had won over 30 games, I believe it was, and it's been years since I ever thought of the stat, but I think it was over 30 games he had saved in that, that course of that year. And so they thought for sure, let's put Jose in, and every one of us, I think, went, no, not Jose. I don't know why. You just knew it wasn't going to turn out good. I don't know why. I just could feel it. But nonetheless, man, that guy could throw a fastball. And that fastball would get a lot of people out. And you know what happens with a fastball? You stand at the plate and you get ready to swing, and that fastball comes in, and it comes in, and it hits the catcher's glove, and you're still swinging. I mean, it goes right past you. You get behind the pitch. You can't catch up to the pitch. And you know what Satan wants you and I to do? He wants us to swing late. And he wants us to miss out on the things of God. He's going to throw us some fastballs. And what happens is, is if he can just get us tied up and distracted with a number of other things that are going on in the world, we're going to miss that pitch. We're not going to hit the ball for Jesus Christ. We're not going to get on base, let alone score a run for the Lord. We're so caught up, so tied up in everything else that's going on. When the pitch comes across the plate, we're swinging late. We miss out on everything God has for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? How many people are going to miss heaven because they swung too late? They waited too long. 
They had an opportunity tonight or they had an opportunity in the past or they had an opportunity maybe sometime even in the future. But God opened up their heart. God convicted them of their sin. God showed them their need of Jesus Christ. And instead of swinging when they were convicted and saw the need, they'll swing late. It'll be too late. They'll miss heaven. Boy, Satan wants us to swing late. He wants us to try to catch up to it. He wants us to say, well, I can get to it. It'll be all right. Here comes the pitch. I don't have to get too concerned about it. I don't have to focus too much on it. I'll just swing and I'll hit it. No, you won't. You'll swing late and you'll miss out on what God has for you. Or you might even miss out on heaven itself if you haven't settled that. Satan will throw a fastball at you. Number two, he'll throw a change up. Now, if a guy's got a good fastball, he's he's a more effective change-up thrower. A change-up is when you throw the ball and it looks just like a fastball, except it's going a lot slower. So say a fellow throws a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, he may throw a 66-mile-an-hour change-up. So what happens in that situation is when you line up, you see the ball and you just think, fastball, here it is, fastball, fastball, and you swing, and then the ball goes by. You get ahead of the pitch. You get ahead of the pitch. Now, of course, the goal is to hit the ball. And we have a softball team here at the church, and sometimes they struggle hitting the ball. Now, I heard last week when they played, they hit the ball well. Mr. Cavanaugh's at camp. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I was just saying they were at camp, but this something about camp came to my mind. I, I really had nothing to do associating that with that. But anyway... <laughs> I guess they hit the ball great. Am I right? You, Joe, you guys hit the ball great. They, they end up mercying the team, 15 to 5. That's really good in the fifth inning. Somebody was hitting the baseball. That's the goal. We want to hit the ball. We don't want to swing late. We don't want to swing ahead of it. But a changeup will cause you to swing ahead. And you know, sometimes in our Christian life, we get anxious. I mean, issues, situations, circumstances come into our life. Problems seem to raise their ugly head. And we end up, if we're not careful, getting in a big hurry. So much of a hurry that we even leave God behind. We feel like we've got to do something and we've got to do it now. We can't wait on God. We've got to just get this handled. I can't deal with the pressure. I can't face this any longer. I've got to take care of it right this second. And we get ahead of the pitch. Get anxious. I think of Israel and the Gibeonites. Turn, if you would, over to Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. We know that the children of Israel had left Egypt and God had delivered them miraculously and they had prepared to and were excited about a land that God was going to give them. And along the journey, God had given them some some parameters to abide by. And one of those things was he said, listen, do not make any league with the, the people around you or the nations around you. Don't make a league with them. Don't enter into a covenant with them. Don't allow them to, to uh, become part of, uh, to, to enter into any kind of relationship with you. Don't do that. And so, of course, Joshua and the people of God were, uh, excuse me, Moses and the people of God were, were uh, willing to do that. I mean, I think they had good intentions. They they didn't mean anything. You know, they, they, they truly wanted to please the Lord. But here's what really happens. The, the, the Gibeonites show up one day. I mean, they really were a nation of that particular area. They'd heard how Israel was winning tremendous victories on the battlefield. And they thought, man, we've got to do something because otherwise we're going to be extinct. 
They are doing a number on other nations. We don't want our families and we don't want our nation to go by the wayside and to die and to be washed out. No, so we're going to go ahead and enter into a covenant with them the best we can. So they went ahead and they dressed up like they'd been on a long journey. They went ahead and had their bread and made it look all, you know, they, they made it look moldy. And, and they, they, they had they just made it look like they'd traveled a long ways. And basically they were just lying. They were putting on a show. And so they went ahead and, and kind of come on up to Israel. And they begin to talk to them and say, listen, we're from a far country. We have heard of your mighty God. We are so, you know, we, we are, are, are just... Uh, you know, we are your servants. We are yielding to you. Man, we, <clears throat> we are just want to enter into a covenant with you. Will you just be our friends? We'll be your ally in a far country. And um, they, they really were just fakes, phonies, pretenders. And the Bible says in Joshua 9.14 that the, the men took of their victuals. <clears throat> talking about food and things. I don't know why you'd want that if it's moldy. And ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. You see what happened? They didn't seek God's counsel. They didn't go to God and say, hey, are these Gibeonites the real deal? Should we enter into a covenant with these Gibeonites? Should we allow them into our inner circle? They looked at the Gibeonites and said, Yep, sure looks like there are people from a far country. They sure seem to be seriously and sincerely um, in awe of our God, in awe of us as a people. They want to submit and be our servants. They want to be our allies in a far country. All right. (laughs) Sure. Sounds good. Makes sense. Let's do it. But they sought or asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Do you know what they did? They got baited by Satan with a change-up. They got out in front of God. They got out in front of the Lord. We've got to act. We've got to move. We've got to do. That's a dangerous place as a believer. The Bible says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Well, we've got to wait on him. And so Satan, the being the great deceiver he is, he'll throw a fastball at you. Get you swinging late. Then he might change it up a little bit. He got you anxious, and you'll go right through it before it even gets there. You'll act before... It even crosses the plate. Boy, don't get ahead of God. And don't get behind some things. Number three, a pitcher that's going to do anything in the majors usually has to have at least three pitches, they say. In this case, a curveball. A lot of pitchers in the majors have a curveball. It's a very essential, very necessary pitch. Most most of them have it. What Satan will do is he'll throw us a pitch. And a curveball is one of those pitches that it comes down, looks like it's going to come down the middle of the plate, and about the time it gets toward the middle of the plate, it curves off and down usually. It curves away from the batter. So if the batter's a, a right-handed batter and he's standing at the plate, 
Then the pitch is going to come toward him toward the middle possibly or toward the inside or toward the outside of the plate usually, usually outside, and it'll curve and go, it'll, it'll drift down and curve out away. So when he swings the bat, he finds himself reaching in a sense. He's, he, he swings and he thinks the ball should be here, but it curves off down here and he misses, goes right over top of the ball and it goes right down the dirt, basically. It almost looks like, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Well, I don't want to talk about it now. So, <clears throat> a curveball. A curveball. So, he tries to get us to reach outside the strike zone. Now, think about that for just a minute. We're reaching for something that's not good. We're swinging at something that doesn't, that, that we shouldn't swing at. And what he really does, he gets us to chase vice, or he gets us to chase things that will not satisfy us, really. Things that we think, this will do it. This will make me happy. This will really get the job done. And so we sit there and we go after it. And Satan starts laughing because he just threw us a curveball. We come up empty either way. We're aware of how the... Close the psalmist came to to ruin in chapter 73 of Psalms as a result of focusing on the prosperity of the wicked. He got his eyes on the wicked, the Bible says. And as a result, he said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, the psalmist, he was up to bat and he wanted to hit the ball for God. He wanted to hit a home run if if he could. I mean, he wanted to do something on the behalf of the Lord, at least get on base. But he got his eyes on a pitch that was actually a curveball, and it took, him, it took him right out of the strike zone. You've got to be careful what you're looking at. Or size it up right. You better see it the way it is. Boy, he was watching the wrong things. He was seeing the wrong things, this psalmist, and as a result, he almost lost his faith. That's why it's important what we expose ourselves to and what we think about. Because we can end up like the psalmist. I'd never, never turn my back on the Lord. I'd never leave church. I would never stop reading my Bible. I would never stop praying. Really? The psalmist said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish. He said, I almost checked out of this thing. Philippians 4.8, turn there if you would, please. Very important passage. He says, finally, brother, in chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Boy, I tell you what, it's important that we think on the right things. That we dwell on the right things. We don't allow our minds to wander and we don't get consumed with the wrong thoughts whether they be worldly thoughts, whether they be selfish thoughts, whether they be be thoughts of bitterness or unforgiveness. We cannot allow ourselves to to, to think on those things, to focus on those things and allow those things in our heart and our life. The devil's going to throw some pitches. I mean, as a Christian, I I don't know about you, but I want to get on base. I'd like to hit a home run even. I certainly want to score without a doubt. He'll throw a fastball at you. 
He'll blow it right by and you'll be behind it. He'll throw that change up and you'll get out front. Get out front of God even. He'll throw that curveball. And he'll get you reaching for things that are outside the strike zone that you know don't belong in your life and that you realize and, and you know God wouldn't want for your life. And finally, he may throw a sinker. There's a number of other pitches that the devil could throw, I'm sure, but think about this sinker. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should chew forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are children of the king today. A sinker comes toward the plate, and next thing you know, it's hitting the plate. It's just dropping into the dirt. And you know the devil, he wants us to swing at things below us. He wants us to go after things below us. We're children of the king. Think about what that really means. So therefore, what we're saying is the devil takes great pleasure in our groveling in the pig pen. Satan wants to see us grovel in the pig pen. I mean, we're children of the king. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have this great inheritance and we have this wonderful future. And yet, we're going to go ahead and swing at pitches in the dirt. And we're going to chase those pitches in the dirt. And Satan wants us to reach for those things which are below us. Why do we allow certain things in our life when we know that they don't belong that they're below us. We're better than that because we're His children. Why do we allow ourselves to live like we're just men and women of this world when in reality we're men and women of that world? And Satan's going to try to get us to make a big cut at that pitch. Man, it looks like it's going to be a home run, but it's a sinker and in the dirt we go chasing it. God doesn't want to see us groveling in the dirt. Even when Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 says, We were dead in sins. Hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead in our sins. We had no hope. We were headed to hell. Our sin was bigger than we could ever imagine. It weighed more than we could ever believe. There was no way we could discard it. There was no way we could get, get rid of it. And yet Jesus Christ came and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And he shed his precious blood. He allowed his body to be broken on our behalf. He allowed himself to die at the very hand of his creation. And there he found his way into an empty tomb after literally dying on a cross, paying for your sin and mine. And he rose again the third day, the Bible says. And may I say, as of that day when I called upon the Lord and you called upon the Lord, you became a child of the King. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. It's been removed from you, buried in the depths of the sea, my friend. Don't allow sin to control your life. Don't allow sin to have reign in your life. Don't allow yourself to be even on the throne of your life. Put Christ back where it belongs. And don't be swinging in the dirt. And don't be chasing things that are in the dirt. Don't allow yourself to go there. Are you saved today?
If you know Christ is your Savior, that's a wonderful thing. But maybe you don't even know that tonight. Literally, you lay your head on a pillow tonight, you close your eyes and you prepare to fall asleep and something inside says, where will I spend eternity? Where will I spend eternity? Do you know where it would be? We could stop you right there and I could say, hey, right before you doze off to sleep, do you know if you don't wake up that you'll wake up in heaven? Because if you don't know that, you can know that. You can know for sure you're with God, you're in heaven, your salvation is secure, your soul is safe. You can know that. You need to settle that. And if you're a child of God, let me tell you, you have an adversary and his name is the devil. And he is a sly fox. The devil is a sly little fox. I'd like to catch him and put him in a box. Lock the box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. Boy, does he play some tricks. And not only that, but he throws some pitches. I mean, he'll throw that fastball causing us to swing late and miss what God would have for us. He'll throw a change-up, getting us to swing earlier, get ahead of God. Then he'll throw a curveball, getting us to reach for something outside the strike zone, outside of what's approved of by God. And he might throw a sinker even, get us to forget that we're the children of the king and instead sink to the world's level. How dangerous is it today in our world? Do you think it's a coincidence that things are the way they are? We live in one of the greatest ages of all time. And yet on the other hand, we live in one of the most difficult ages because it's such Satan is so subtle in our age. Be pretty easy to spot him if he wore a helmet, police gear, had guns and ammunition, and was hunting us down and killing us. It'd be easy to spot the enemy. We'd know. Stay away from that as far as possible. But today he just shows his ugly head in places, and it looks so good. It's not ugly anymore. He shows up on the television set. He shows up in our Facebook. shows up in our social media. He shows up in our our comforts and our eases. He shows up in the simple pleasures of life that remove us and take us away from the very important things of God. He doesn't look bad anymore. As a matter of fact, he looks extremely appealing. But I want you to know he's throwing some pitches tonight. Be aware of it. Don't discount the fact that he is still the adversary and that he still wants nothing good for you that he only wants to hurt and harm you and your family. Watch for that fastball, that changeup, that curveball, and that sinker. It'll cause you to sink to the world's level instead of sitting and taking your place, rightful place, as a child of the king. Father, we come to you.